Welcome to Blightbringers, a Legion of Everblight-focused War Machine and Hordes podcast. I'm your host, Ronlor, and I only played Keyforge last week. Joining me this week is Cutter. Welcome back to the show. Ahoy, everyone. Uh, I did get a couple games in and have been playing a fair amount of Overwatch also. Uh, so if anyone's into that, let me know. Yeah, Overwatch looks super cool. I, It's like better Team Fortress 2, and I, I loved a lot of TF2. You're going to definitely get shit for that. Well, I'm right, so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> joining us this week, uh, Donny Who, back from his Callus uh, 2 episode. Welcome back. Hey. hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, Wolf is technically here, but he is experiencing super technical difficulties at the moment, but he might drop in a little bit later in the episode. Uh, for now, what we're going to do this week is we're going to... Just kind of have a chat. Um, I guess the first thing we can talk about is uh, Lord of the Feast General and how it's a good Facebook group and we should all join it to praise the one, the only Lord of the Feast. Yeah. Yeah. And they changed the name of that group and can't change it back for 28 days. So yep. that's funny. So congratulations <laughs> to them. So this is cutting edge because this is happening as we're casting. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh boy! Yeah, it just happened. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, talk about in you know giant mistakes, self-inflicted. But hey, whatever. Oh oh, baby Michael confirming that someone did in fact take War Machine Horde General as a name of the group. So <laughs> perfect. Lord of the Feast <laughs> ruining the community. Yeah, ruining the game and the community <laughs> through and through. Fantastic. I mean, people should know. You just, you know, how far you're gonna have to go to avoid getting that name back. Is as far you have to keep your model spread on the table. <laughs> just don't even deploy them. I think is is the key to that one. Oh dear. Okay. Well, in in serious uh, Lord of the Feast news, um, I think there was a line of sight article cutter that maybe you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So line of sight has done some good work basically putting together an article that describes specifically what you should do when fighting against Lord of the Feast. Uh, they talk, uh, we'll put a link in the notes. It just came out today. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's not a super long article. They have some really great images in there that demonstrate kind of how you want to use placement, stuff like that basically talks about all the crazy stuff that he does as a model, which I won't get into. Uh, and then they they go into some tech talking about shield guards, which are really big. And they talk a little bit about model placement, stuff like that. So uh, as a technically correct moment, I don't know if we talked about this one before. If your Lord of the Feast has to go base to base with whatever model it hits. So if you shield guard it somewhere, and there isn't space around the shield guard, then Lord of the Feast just stays right where he is. Oh, okay. So, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, I feel so like it, you should be RFP'd. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be gr that would be great. I agree. But yeah, you can't place a model somewhere where whatever, you know, it can't fit. So it's the same problem that people have with Alice, right? Like when she gets big, if she can't do it, then it doesn't work. Um, so that kind of stuff. So they talk about that a little bit. They talk about the magic number 
which is 3.2 inches. So that's how far you have to keep things apart so that when Lord of the Feast ends up standing next to a base, that it won't hit anything else. And they make a good point of saying that for overtaking Ravagers, things that are greater than three inches away stop the overtake chain too. So it's just so generally good tech. So hopefully, uh, you know, people like Muse and Broken Egg are listening and 3.2 inch widgets are all coming out next week. <laughs> Lord of the Feast yeah. widgets. I feel like there would have already been 11.6 inch widgets for Hellmouths. Yeah. I think someone made one. Um, but yeah, it's the, yeah, the basic idea is the same. You know, it's like keep things more than his reach because he's a small base model and then a two inch reach, which ends up being about 3.18 inches total. Right. So it's something that with a three inch widget you can get pretty proficient at. Just don't screw it up. Um, and then they talk a little bit about spreading out and using terrain and stuff like that. And anything you can do to make the bird miss is a big deal because uh, Lord of the Feast is Rat 7. And, you know, if, I've definitely had games where it needs to roll five and just doesn't. And then you get to breathe a sigh of relief and maybe kill him. So, and also remember that the Hellmouth will eat him. So, yes, he does get consumed or he gets consumed. Yep. Did, uh, did the article go into all like how to get time back on your clock from all the spacing and stuff that you've done moving your stuff over the board? And... No, I think you you probably just swap it to the circle player's clock, and then while they're complaining about how you didn't get any work done, you absorb some of that time back. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, that the thread on Facebook's pretty funny. Um, the there's some other cute stuff out there. So I guess um, I haven't played this list, but I'll throw out some some cute tech that could be funny. Um, the so I have an Absalonia two list in Primal Terrors. Okay, it's crazy. A little um, bit. This is a list I messed around with. Um, hopefully, it's not really good because I haven't played it that much. Um, and if it is really good, that would be silly. But basically what you do is uh, there's a couple things going on that are really cute. So one thing is Absalonia 2 is the only caster who can give Chosen Steady because she has Fortify, and anything base-to-base with a Fortified model is Steady. So what you do is you proxy out where Golob's going to go or whatever. Uh, You throw a Blightbringer AoE up there, uh, and then you fly... Uh, Golob or Proteus into that spot, and uh, then all of the chosen like surround it base to base. So then you have steady chosen that are in the Blightbringer aura, which is cute, right? Like that's a cute thing. If it's Golob uh, or if it's Proteus, you on their feet, you can fly over, do some stuff, and then the chosen go out and do their thing. So you could also do it with the Blightbringer, but in general, you want to get them up the field a little bit more. So there's a lot of Grievous Wounds out there, so it's not like the biggest deal in the world, but it's cute, right? Um, you can also put Return Fire on the Blightbringer. So if someone shoots it, maybe you get another AoE. It's weird because the AoE will come out on their turn, and then at the start of your turn, the AoE is still there, but it doesn't have an effect on it. It's just a weird thing because you haven't chosen the effect yet, and that it only lasts through the end of your turn. 
So that's weird. The really cute tech that I haven't heard anyone talk about yet is you can put return fire on a Hellmouth. And if Lord of the Feast throws a bird at it, after he's placed, the Hellmouth gets to make an attack on him and will eat him. Wait, return fire can go on things that aren't battle group models? can go on anything. That's amazing. So that's like a, you know, it's weird. It's like you're going to catch someone out on it. It's, it's more silly. Uh, but, you know, if you have a Lord of the Feast who's terrorizing you, just like discreetly like put your return fires out, have the Hellmouth just kind of sitting out, and then maybe Lord of the Feast comes in and gets eaten immediately. I love so it. I love it. That's yeah, it's a silly list. Uh I don't I don't necessarily think it's strong, uh, but it's got some cute tech in it. And if you've really been aching to play Absolonia too, it's a cute thing to do with her. So Lord of the Feast has to shoot the Hellmouth. Has to shoot the Hellmouth, yeah. So you have to have the Hellmouth just hanging out there. And or then, a tentacle. Uh, well, he has. You want him to shoot the Hellmouth because the return fire is on an enemy targeted. You could put it on a tentacle and let the tentacle hit him, and then pull him in, and then make an attack. So that would work too. But yeah, it's basically uh, after the attacks resolved, the affected model can make a basic melee or ranged attack, and then the effect expires. Yeah, the problem with the tentacle though, it doesn't have circular vision, so he just teleports into the back of it, and you can't get him anyway. Mm. Yeah, I literally had to just open up War Room to check these ridiculous uh, combinations. (laughs) Yeah, it's silly. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good list, but if you want Steady Chosen and you want Lord of the Feast eating Hellmouths, you know, go nuts. Okay, cool. Um, why don't we move on from that for now? We'll we'll come back to some more sweet tech in a little bit. Um, why don't we do, why don't we talk about um our thoughts on how quickly things are updating in the game? Um, do we feel that things are moving too fast, too slow, or just right? Uh, me personally, um, I think it would be nice to get. Uh, some arbitrary changes just kind of thrown out there for stuff that they know is underperforming. I, I know that idea is met with a lot of resistance, but I feel like some changes, some quality of life stuff could probably be pushed through without any issues. And if they commit to like a bit of a faster schedule in general, then they could always hit the control Z and go back on it. I don't know what you guys think. Um, Donnie, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, you know, we were kind of chatting and, uh, you know, talking about like the difference in like some popular video games and stuff that we play where they're, uh, they have patches, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, you make an analogy to a whole bunch of different things, even like, you know, like magic cards or something like that, where certain cards just get banned or whatever restricted back in the day. But the, the point is, is like, you know, it's not like, okay, we're focusing on this subset of the game right now. And, everything else is just locked in stone. We were not going to look at it. It's, you know, you've got X number of models. Some are overperforming, some are performing. You could hit those models right then and there and kind of like keep, try to keep the game more in balance. Um, you know, that would allow you to, to make tweaks, I think, across all different factions um, without having to like, you know, really people sit around waiting for CIDs at this point, I think. Yeah, there's definitely that feeling where it's like, can't wait for my next CID. Who knows when that's going to be? And all of my models are 
really boring except for the primal terror stuff you know it's like it's it's depressing but at the same time there's it's like hopeful that yours is just around the corner and like i don't know if that's good for the game especially because now they're with so many factions and we we've seen that stuff like grimkin can come back and get a second uh cid which makes sense like they're going to release more stuff but if yeah i mean it's, it's pretty like we were talking it's pretty impressive to me that you know primal terrors has been out less than a year and it just feels like that is what legion is right and it's imagine like it feels like it's been forever since we've had an update but we had one and it's been less than a year so i can't imagine what like troll players must be feeling and stuff like that yeah exactly yeah and coming from mark ii um you know the meta just didn't change that quickly stuff would emerge and then you know crazy theme list would show up and then it would become popular and then you'd labor under that for a long time and like i was playing veil 2 exclusively in my pairings when the whole denegra thing was going on where she started with her upkeeps on your army because that was the only way that you could effectively remove pursuit from your battle group or from whatever so that iris wasn't just yeah or uh, deathjack wasn't running around killing you so people would put pursuit on iris uh, and then she would just stand still all game <laughs> and just aim and shoot at things so yeah it's it's weird coming from a meta that you know where books would come out every couple of years or whatever and you'd get some stuff and the the game is definitely updating a lot faster and i think the fact that a lot of people feel like it's moving slowly is kind of a testament to where we are in gaming you know, I, I worked in esports professionally for a few years, and it changes quickly. Uh, and the changes that they make are not trivial, and they have pretty big impacts on how the game is played at a competitive level. And, you know, one of the big differences, of course, is in esports, you have a lot more data. So I think data is one of the tricky parts. Uh, I'm surprised that Privateer Press didn't create some kind of a more integrated tool like Conflict Chamber into War Room where you would run events and stuff and you would register and kind of keep track of the standings and everything within a system that they got to see all the data from that was actually helpful because that would be really useful if you could see how everyone in the world is placing at events and what they're running. It just seems like an incredible amount of data and for a company like that, you could put a data person on it. I've had jobs like that, where you're just looking at the data streaming in and trying to figure out the trends and tease things out. Because one of the big problems that you see in this environment and in CID as kind of our window into it is it's, it takes a lot of play testing to figure this stuff out. And even then, some stuff will slip through the cracks. And... This game takes a lot longer to figure out. It has a lot of emergent qualities to it where uh, the meta, a lot of people who are defending Lord of the Feast as it currently stands, or Judicator, or Ravagers, or whatever, will talk about the meta having to adjust to it. Uh, and Asphyxious 3 is thrown out there a lot as an example of that. And so is Primal Terrors right now. Like Everyone's like, oh, everyone thought Animag was the end of the world, but everyone's adjusted to it. Yeah, I never really had the feeling that Animag was the end of it. And I kind of took that as Legion bias. 
you know, I figured it was, I got why Grimkin were really unhappy about it. But the, yeah, I think, I think that there's, it's difficult because a lot of people will kind of assume that they're an expert in game design because they play games a lot. And actually getting into the more delicate design elements, uh, especially in games like this that are really deep and use imperfect balance and all of that stuff, you know, it's it's tricky. It's really tricky. So for me as a competitive player who really likes reading the meta and trying to figure out what's being played, what's going where, making predictions, talking about them with people, um, when I got to Captain Khan, my, I, my position was, I think Scorn is like a sleeper. You know, it's really strong into Tharn uh, and the Circle as a whole, and they just got a lot of stuff. And Circle's taking all the flack for the updates, and they're just kind of being quiet about it. So, and you saw that at LVO, right? Where where Scorn and Circle kind of tore it up. Yeah, Scorn is definitely submarining into like first and second place in a lot of cases. Yeah, and talking to, I mean, this can get a little bit into other other topics that we have but i think there's there's some merit to letting the meta figure things out um i think what we talked about earlier with being willing to undo i don't know if this was in the preamble or if it was while we were talking here being able to undo some changes like oracles heavy metal getting pushed to 30 points yeah stuff like that like undoing changes i think if they were a little bit more willing to do that then doing quicker meta fixes would be right i mean and it's it's entirely plausible that at the time they make a change maybe it was necessary because the meta was bending too much right but then other things have been released other things have come out and maybe that which which was considered to be too powerful then is no longer and it shouldn't take two years from the come back and say, oh, hmm, well, I guess we could change this back. Yeah. yeah and I think how- if it became more of a, a, a fluid process, then they would be able to make those changes more often and people couldn't cry about invalidated models and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And however much people bitch about privateer press, they are, they did make a really good game. You know, like we're all playing it because it's awesome. It has great competitive balance. It's a great problem solving environment. <laughs> tons of analytical qualities, strategy, tactics, all that stuff. They know what's happening for a lot of this stuff. And I think sometimes we as a as the players just have to assume that they're going to fix it. And sometimes down the road that stuff is there, right? Like you know, some of the stuff Primal Terrors solved a lot of things for Legion. So I don't I think some of it might be communication. I think they're still figuring out how they want to manage that. Yeah. So I think it's really easy for the community like I do this way as well. I'm not saying I'm immune to it, is like fall into uh a thinking of like privateer press has like malicious intent towards certain factions or certain models, right? And it's like I don't know if that's the case. It's it's probably more that they don't they like they do a good job for sure but they may not fully understand the impact of the changes until it's shipped and you see that a lot in uh online games like or like any game that has a patch like the people who test the game internally are only going to be able to put in so many hours and as soon as you push it to the people who actually play the game 
they're going to play infinitely more hours than anyone, any internal team can. Well, and, yeah, it's like the magic analogy, right? Or exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, magic, the gathering, like, they'll, they, they're doing a better job now. They've got a whole, I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, they make cards and they, everything seems okay, but then they release it and everything is on fire. Because, like, this one thing that they just missed completely ruins everything. And it's like, well, like, that's going to happen, you know, but it needs to be able to be addressed as well. So, like, coming full circle and what Donnie was saying, you know, magic takes the steps as necessary to ban cards where they're bad for a competitive environment. And I'm not saying ban Lord of the Feast. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but if everybody listening it might be, like, in the back of their mind thinking that, there's probably a reason, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll check in with uh, Lord of the Feast General later and see what their thoughts are on that. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's—I don't know if he needs to be changed. I feel like he does, and I, I do—I don't want to discount the people who are saying wait till the meta adjusts to him. But he just does so much, and even like last week we had Jake on, where he just said, "I just gave Michael." seven different targets and said pick one because you're going to get one anyway which yeah like that sucks that feels bad man yeah oh. i think i think that's where it comes in uh they're they're both valid positions leaving it as is changing it they're it's just the design choice of how they want to pursue it as their game and it's not our role to balance the game for them we just need to do the best that we can with what we have. And I think CID has opened up the doors a little bit to a lot of wish listing and the idea that if you're loud enough, things will change in your favor, whatever it is. And the play experience of playing against Lord of the Feast is pretty bad. That's the part that, for me, kind of lights up, where after, especially when I was at Captain Con and I been playing games for several hours without a break and then you have to face lord of the feast and you're like oh god why do i have to <laughs> i don't want to think this much about it you know uh and it's yeah it's, that part i think is is bad um keeping it as a powerful tool is good um but yeah i think it's i think you can see like maybe we can use it to transition into the otc stats yeah, i think that's a good idea but, but we're there's a lot of circle the circles definitely come out of the woodwork and they you know the ontario team championship is happening soon is that yeah. this weekend it's no it's not it's next weekend oh, it's march, 3rd. Uh, march 2nd to 3rd so yeah the yeah. uh the orboros team championships um yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna ride war machine general <laughs> for the rest of the podcast uh <laughs> It, looking at the stats, it's pretty impressive um, how many circle players there are. Uh, 31 players. 31. That's awesome. And I think there's like 90 some, 90 some players, something like that. Or no, there's more than that. It's 38 teams, so mm-hmm. 190 players, which is insane. And not including alternates or whatever, but that's a lot yeah. of people. And that's a lot of people deciding that. Circle Orboros is either the best fit for them or the best fit for their team. And I'm sure that some teams have multiples. I haven't gone through every single one, but I'm sure it exists. Yeah, I mean, there's it's rare to find teams without Circle on them. 
Uh, it's definitely the minority. Some teams have like three circle though. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I think circle is definitely something to pay attention to. You know, if you look at circle at that event, um, this event more than a lot of the other ones seems to be a fairly good representation of where the meta is right now, where you see a ton of Iona. There's a lot of Kruger too, um, which is interesting because I feel like that's maybe a US or like an America's thing more than I know in Europe, Wormwood's taking off a little bit more. So you still need to worry about Kruger too. Um, Protectorate is the next biggest with 24, and that's fairly representative too, I feel like. You're seeing High Reclaimer and Harbinger on the top, and there are 35 Judicators for the 24 teams, so you know there's a lot of them. Yeah, they've actually taken quite a few different Warcasters, actually. Menoth, like, I, have oh, geez. A, I have a small prediction. Okay. Okay. See if it comes through. Um, but I predict that in the next three weeks, that there'll be a uh, talk about um, the resurgence of Harbinger and these ridiculous little Paladin guys that just came out. Um, oh, that three man unit? Just, yeah, they basically sit and squat and you're never getting rid of them. It's, uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like a hellmouth. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> they are free. Hmm. You know, so that's my that's my meta prediction of the week. Yeah, they get a cumulative plus three armor bonus, right, for each one that's base to base. Correct. So yeah, Harbinger. It's something. I mean, I think that's where Grievous definitely shows up quite a bit, uh, as with Tharn and with Harbinger. And then, you know, you go into Scorn, and it's still relevant there, too. So Relevant against Primal Terrors, and, mm-hmm. it like, Grievous Wounds, I think, is probably the most important rule in the game right now. Yeah, or the equivalent. You know, yeah, like some way of preventing healing. Super Grievous. Um, I'm so ready yeah, for I... a Legion Caster with Mortality. That's all I want. Oh, my God. I think that's, that's probably pretty reasonable given kind of the gaps in our in our list right now mortality seems like it could be something that would be pretty easily slot in to one of our casters um well why don't we talk about some otc lists themselves um better i know you've got them open so why don't you pick one and let us know what's in there yeah so i was going to focus on legion lists and talk about those a little bit. Uh, but I, I think it's also important to talk about some of the the archetypes of the the meta bullies of what we expect to see out of the top tier, which is like Circle, Protectorate, and Scorn. And Kador is actually showing up in that tier too. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe since we're transitioning i'll talk about some legion stuff so looking through it there are a lot of lists that are pretty similar so uh, i'm going to skip over a lot of those there's a lot of callus one uh there's a lot of callus well i guess callus 2 is the next most popular yeah so, three again let's I keep like in mind there's only eight legion players yeah that was my heart yeah yeah you and simon have both been pushing your versions of Callus 2 
uh, and it seems it seems like that's being adopted pretty well. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about why that is, um, because we're still kind of in the Calus two train until we get to voting to the next warlock. So, what what I wanted to talk about a little bit was just looking through the list right now. There are two lists that I think are a little bit outside the box. Uh, one of them is Absolonia 2. Uh, this is Andrew playing on Swarmhaven. Um, we've been talking about Absolonia 2 in Discord occasionally. I think a lot of us miss her. Uh, she was a caster who was really popular at the beginning of Mark 3. She was a staple for a lot of people in Mark 2. And uh, the list here is Ad Epsilonia 2, Angelius, two Carnivians, Naga, Proteus, Seraph, and then like a bunch of support staff with Ice Witches. I am a big fan of Spell Martyrs. Uh, there seems to be some preference between Shepherds and Spell Martyrs for different people. Uh, this list has a Sorceress and Hellion. I prefer the Succubus just because uh, I really like I like doing work with Absalonia. Sorceress and Hellion is a great model, but since she already gives the free charges, and since I'm not, usually with her, I'm not running anything that really cares about the Puncture Aura as much. Uh, I, I, she's really just for sprays and a solo, but I like the Succubus. Uh, I like giving a model concealment sometimes that can help block line of sight, or put a cloud on them, rather can help black line of sight. Um, I think two Forsaken is pretty standard. And I personally think the Ice Witches are pretty much needed for her, just because it's so critical that her feet turn go off without a hitch. And um, I think one thing that I think Jake pointed this out quite a while ago is five out of the six scenarios have an objective. And for both Kalos 2 and Epsilonia 2, that objective is a really big deal for getting to do the thing that you want to do. Uh, you just have to keep in mind that a lot of feats will affect objectives. So, for example, uh, Zal 2, his feat affects all friendly faction constructs, which the objective is. So you have to be a little careful about keeping track of that because you don't want to plan your whole turn around killing the objective and then find out it's plus five armor or whatever. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind. Um, I I like seeing Absolonia 2. Uh, I was talking to someone on Facebook about Lilith 3 quite a bit. Um, and I think it's, I miss playing those lists where we're very battle group heavy, and you're kind of leveraging threat to get up on board position. Uh, I just haven't gotten to play it in a while, so I'm kind of living vicariously through. I used to like the beast packs with uh, Abby too. I guess mm -hmm. they're not as meta anymore, are they? Yeah, they're tough now because like immortals don't care, right? Uh, there's so much tough in the meta that their crit grievous is not really that useful. Um, or they're not even crit grievous; they're crit, they're crit poison. poison. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, and like my favorite thing with them was they also counted as a unit, so they could get the the two inch apparition and mm -hmm. stuff, and that would throw people off because they wouldn't be expecting it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they're the infantry has just become too difficult for them to deal with. 
they're still good. Um, it's just that their efficiency probably has deteriorated a little bit in respect to where the infantry and the meta is right now. Yeah, they're probably not walking through a bunch of ravagers. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think the problem I have with battle group heavy lists, and this has been a problem for a little while, is like um, we just can't get the get the amount of work done that we really need to, especially with like we always struggled, not always, but we we did struggle into infantry spam for a while, and now it's like medium base, really difficult to deal with infantry spam, and yeah. I, I still don't think that like even though there's slightly fewer models, I don't think a battle group heavy approach is the right approach. Yeah, well, we I think we're lacking some of the key elements that make those battle group heavy lists work. So you know, if you just look through the game, you've got Sloan, right? And Sloan's fury, Sloan's focus efficiency is amazing. Her threat is incredible. Uh, you've got Asphyxius three, who fuels the jacks incredibly well, gives them carapace and unyielding, so they can actually get into zones and and they're just tough to deal with. Uh, if you look at lists like going into circle, you've got the bones list, right? Like all the wolds heal, none of them frenzy. Uh, there's a lot of fury support in there. And specifically at this point, it covers some matchups that are really, really helpful to get off the Tharn. So, you know, you can drop it into Crucible Guard and anything with huge bases and kind of do the control game and uh, it also protects its stuff extraordinarily well with the feet and kind of all the utility there and it can remove a lot with hellmouth and you know it has a lot of efficiency built in and then you have scorn with makeda 3 makeda will kill a whole army herself if they're you know anything any kind of infantry basically that's clumping up she'll just kill all of them so I think looking at that kind of stuff is uh, where we want to see, like trying to piece together something for Legion that can accomplish those tasks. Uh, and maybe there's something out there. Um, I think there's still some matchups where, especially in team environments, where you can dodge some of the bad stuff. And Absolutely 2 can make really good use of terrain. So if you know you're going into an environment that's going to have a lot of good terrain for her, and you get to pick tables and stuff, it can be really helpful. So I think team events are where you get to see some of these interesting things. Um, oh, yeah. Can I, can I pick the next list to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So I found a list that uh, is being... They're, they're playing my favorite war beast in Legion. Okay, which war beast is that? My favorite war beast in Legion is Thagrash 2. Okay. <laughs> so Arcane Assist, uh, Craig Clark... I don't actually know Craig, but um, he's playing the Thags 2 list with an Archangel, two Harriers, two Rakes, a Seraph, and a Typhon. So this thing is out there. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, Thags 2 is, so everyone has a reason why they get into a faction, right? And I did, you know, I started off with Menoff, and I got into Trolls, sort of like Molg, and um, then Trolls got stopped into the earth so badly uh, that I said, I need something cool. And I was like, man, that Thagros 2 has always been the coolest model. I want to go play those guys. I want to play Big Dragon. And, uh, you know, I've been playing uh, Trolls and Legion ever since with PT. But um, I want Thags 2 to be good so bad. 
so I was just looking at this list and just trying to figure out, like, you know, it's got double Harrier, double rake. Um, so it's got some shenanigans, but and it's got the the, the Faro Valkyries in there. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm consider me curious on this one. What's your take on this list, Andrew? Well, before we get to that, Wolf, are you here? I don't know how to do any of that shit. That's why it took me an hour and a half to figure out how to get this fucking thing running. <laughs> I have so many things I wanted to add and I couldn't. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, I mean, you'll just be a little quiet. Just project. Yeah, so, you're going to need to be louder. So, yell. Yeah, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not seeing the downside to this. All right, great. You heard me talk in person? Fuck. Okay, so now that, now that Wolf is here and his microphone works, um, Cutter, what what are your thoughts on that list from Arcane Assist? Yeah, so I played Thagrush two a lot. He was the he was in like the top three casters in Mark two that I played in Legion, and I think I've been trying to make him work. I really have. Uh, I think the Archangel is interesting there. Why he's is there an the, Archangel? God. He's one of the few casters who can actually beef it up a little bit. Uh, you know, it gets goes up to arm 21. And his feet, you can get an extra attack with it, pretty much. Um, Manifest Destiny is fine. You know, I think I think you're really looking at it to anchor the list in this capacity, where it's with Dagrush too. And then if anything does come up and kill the Archangel, Thagrush will kill it, almost certainly. Uh, he's got Valkyries in there, so it looks like he's probably using the Rakes to run around and be stealth and kind of a pain. He's got two Sorcerers and Hellions. So this list to me looks like it's pretty teched against shooting. Yeah. Because it's it Thagrush. Really seems like it's going to... I mean, it seems like it's going to try to push Thagrush into the middle of the table as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Give him counter charge and just let him be a huge threat, right? Yeah, I mean, counter charge is definitely scary with him uh, for both people. <laughs> um, that's why you use counter blast. Yeah. Bring a stinger. Yeah, the yeah, I may have put a stinger in there. There's one shepherd, like whatever. Um, I guess if he gets shot, you can pop a stinger out. But yeah, I think you bring him up the table with the Archangel, and the Harriers are near him. You have the Valkyries near whatever. Typhon goes and finds Concealment or whatever. You have the Sorceresses fly up and say no shooting. And yeah, in general, you, you're you kind of trying to get in the face of the gun line. Uh, maybe you even feet and just run the rakes up into them, possibly. So... Uh, Typhon's sprays also go to power strength 16, the Archangel. It's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad, actually. Was this Jeremy McClure's list? I feel like I've seen this on the table and it looked like a clusterfuck. No, this is Craig Clark presents Craig Clark, a Craig Clark production. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong here. I love Jeremy, I do. But if you've ever seen him play... His lists look like a clusterfuck, and like watching him play looks like a clusterfuck. And then somehow he wins, and you're never quite sure how. It's really fucking weird. Goddamn Canadians. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's interesting. 
I would love to find a good way to put Thagrash on the table. I've been a little fixated on using Golab with him when I get the opportunity. That's what I've been running. So it's good to see some other stuff with him. I really miss the whole double rake, Seraph, Typhon kind of stuff. That that was my jam in Mark II. Yeah, I, n- I never got the chance to play Thag, so... You do realize you can still run that, right? You don't have you can. to play super competitive every single game cutter. I am... I'll acknowledge that as a truth. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Wolf's on my side for once. Hey! Um, okay. Well, maybe we do one more Legion list, and then we can talk about what we think are the archetypes that Legion's going to have to deal with in the team format. Is there one more you wanted to look at, Cutter? Me? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you, you or Wolf have any that you want to look at? Uh, give me one second. I'm pulling them up now. It was so constructed by... That's not the right word. But... This, this guy on Billy's basement is running a pretty sexy pairing. I'll just mention that. Oh, hey, I know that guy. Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's my local crew. <laughs> yeah, he was running my Thagrash list in the event that you guys did, right? And then yeah, that didn't work out well. Was... So now he's running Donnie's list. <laughs> <laughs> he's running my ATC pairing. <laughs> he dropped Thags into Rian, like round one. And it turns out Rian's a really good rep player, and that Thags list did not have as much game as he thought it did. And uh, what was it, Gorshade? Uh, Gorshade 4 double trident, I think it was, or single trident. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's okay into into Gershade, but it probably is. But again, Rian is just a really fucking good rep player. Yeah, and Tridents they roll a lot of dice, so sometimes you just get even more dice to roll. Tridents make me so mad. Does it mm-hmm. everything? Yeah, it's like wishing for more wishes, <laughs> uh, except it's rolling dice to roll more dice. Uh, yeah, so. Mike stole yours. Oh, we could we could talk about uh, Tyrone's list. That is fun. Mm, let's not. <laughs> that guy sucks at War Machine. <laughs> I mean, I haven't played him, but I've heard that. Uh, yeah, that, uh, we'll just mention that I am an alternate for Team Continuous Beer. Uh, so I might be there. I don't know. I thought that said Continuous Bear at first. And I was just like, man, that's a terrifying thought. Bear that never ends. Like, your god. That seems like that seems like Canada, right? I mean, continuous moose maybe. Uh I am pretty much playing um the oracles list that uh, Wolf brought to the ATC. That probably a mistake, but all right. Yeah, I don't know. I I liked it. I thought it was cool. And then a modified uh Donihu Callus 2 list uh to take out the uh war chief and get some raw wings in there. Uh do lose a uh... hellmouth. And I know it makes and I love it because it makes Donnie who upset. <laughs> I I'm, I got to start a campaign, War Chief in 2020. And I mean, no one likes this poor guy. He, he just suffers so much ridicule. I, if I see his name brought up in Discord, it's like, ah, shit, we don't play that. Uh, <laughs> so. We actually play him, but like he's five points, and it's five points that doesn't necessarily do a whole lot. It's hard to yeah. justify, in my mind. Maybe under Callus yeah, 2, yeah. where you can get like a super long charge on feet turn, but I, I just don't see it being useful. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I'm in the chief scoring camp, I guess. I just haven't, I tried running him with a bunch of things 
uh, notably one of my Thagrash 2 lists because I wanted Thagrash 2 to be even more of a badass. And yeah, I think he's just, his rules are a little weak for for my taste. Um, I did have him, them. yeah, I mean, I did have him survive with a, in one of my Thagrush 1 PT lists against the world because he was arm 23. So there, I think there's like maybe a little bit more going on because it stacks with the Unyielding and the Blightbringer and the Thagrush aura. So there it's kind of cool. You've got something special going on. But being speed five with just like native Berserk and nothing else really just doesn't do it for me. Veteran leader is one of the bonuses that I kind of wish would just go away and become more interesting because it when things come out with veteran leader, it doesn't usually excite me very much because it's it is really good in a lot of ways, but you know, I'd rather have something like the the shaman, right? That gives magic weapons or steady or whatever. Or, you know, maybe if he himself got righteous vengeance or there's some way to like increase what he was doing, or like the night witch, right? Where he would have overtake with Berserk. That would be cool. So being able to give him Grievous somehow, there's it would be cool to Animag, like that would be something Animag would bring that would be different, is if he had Overtake in Berserk, then she could give him Grievous and he could just go Pac-Man around. Like that would be a cool thing that only that list would do. But yeah, it just hasn't hasn't worked out for me personally. See, I don't ever mind him. I just don't like him in the Callus 2 list because you have to choose between Blood Drinker and uh, Repo. And a lot of the time, the right move is to just repo. So it's like, sure, he gives them plus one map, but that's it. And that doesn't feel worth an extra five points. Like, it just, it kind of doesn't. Um, On top of the fact that if you just want, like, a cheap solo to score a flag, you can take three Spell Martyrs and a Feral Geist for the same cost. And you have contesting models, and you have things that can score flags, like... He just, in that particular build, and he doesn't feel like he does a whole lot, but having him there is what pushes you over the edge to get the second free Hellmouth, and I I don't know that that's worth it, weirdly. Um, I think I'm in the minority there, because apparently double free Hellmouth all the time is the way to go, but... Yeah, that's, that's I'm, I'm, more, I'm more sad that uh, you don't have the second Hellmouth with that change than I am about having the birds in there. Um, I can see the birds being real good. Um, last night, and I was playing a practice game, they were nothing but crevasse targets, but that's okay. I, I, I feel the birds. Yeah. They're definitely games they just die to nothing, and you're like, wow, why the hell did I bring these? And then there's games where they kill a Vulcan with like five of them, and you're going, oh, yeah, that's why. All right. Yeah, they're pretty scary with when you had weapon master on to finisher not too bad that's for sure all right well while we move on to uh the archetypes you mentioned do you want to talk a little bit about that cutter yeah so basically i mean we've talked a bit about it in the last episode and kind of leading up to the events that we played in and stuff like that but i think it's worth looking at what's coming out uh in the matter right now and talking a little bit about how how we should be thinking about our pairings and how to design around that. So first is circle. 
you know, first in attendance, last in our hearts. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically Iona, right? Like, that's what everyone's running everywhere. Uh, she just tunes Theron up to ridiculous levels. And if you haven't played against it, find someone to play against it with, because it's really difficult to explain all the stuff that's going on in that list. Because yeah. And there are a couple different variations, too, with the solos. And by and large, it's going to be double Ravagers, though. And then, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a rough list. Uh, I know Donnie just played against Mike Stone uh, a couple of practice games, if you want to chime in on that at all, because uh, I didn't get to play against Circle this week. Yeah, I mean, I've got... So two things I'll bring up. I, I did play uh, maybe Michael last night. He was playing this Balder 2 Storm Raptor double thing, which basically um, made me sad about the Archangel. Because um, <laughs> I was playing uh, Simon's uh, Kalos 2 version because I want to try something a little different. And I was like, yes, I get to use this Archangel. And he pops out two Storm Raptors. I'm like, this is not fair. Um, <laughs> but that's a, um, one thing I was going to say, you made a good point about playing people that are playing playing Iona. I want to uh, do a quick shout out to uh, my teammate for the last three and a half, four years in, in this game, Danny McGeehan, getting selected to the WTC team. Um, and I'm pretty proud of him and that accomplishment. Uh, but he's been playing Iona and we, we'll get a lot of games and we, the first thing we do to decide is, is who's getting the practice game. Um, so if I'm getting the practice game, um, there's a force in the middle of the table, right? Because I want to make it as bad as possible and if he's getting the practice game there's a house in the middle of the table because now my hell mouse are commanding position right and it's as hard as possible for him um but it's just amazing how much that i never got to play mk2 legion so i'm not i don't feel like the pangs of remorse every time i see a force in the middle of the board and i can't go through it and shoot through it and stuff but it's amazing how hard it is to play around that um when they can uh so it's it's like my goodness uh, I think if you're going to get Iona practice and you should definitely make it as advantageous for them as possible when you practice against it so that it maybe doesn't seem quite as bad as getting in tournaments. Yeah, I definitely agree with that methodology for practice. Um, it's, it's important because making the terrain kind of as poor as possible for you is going to prepare you for an event where that happens. And that's one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was, you know, if you're if you're out there trying to elevate your game, travel if you can, if at all possible, try to get games in against people that you're not as familiar with, uh, against table setups that you're not as familiar with. It's it's really helpful to do your practice deliberately, and to if your opponent is up for it, to use the opportunity to push your game more than you would in like a casual type of play or even in an event. Yeah, I think it's uh, another point. I think when you're, I, I call every game, like based on a game night or whatever, I call it a practice game. And I know people that keep stats on every game they've ever played, every caster, and like who won, who lost, and stuff like that. And I can't emphasize enough, at least for me, it's just not important who wins uh, the game. If I'm doing like, if it's a non-tournament, um, all I want to do is dress my list. I want to put things into positions where they maybe shouldn't be. I want to go out and get stuff, uh, you know, how much can 
Kalos to tank um, before he's really just not going to be okay. Because um, I want to make sure when I show up in the tournament that I say, okay, you know what, I'm going to have to camp three because I know what happens if I don't right here. Um, whereas I, I think you can get really caught into the trap of, you know, if you win your game, uh, a lot of times I think you actually learn less because you'll justify certain things that happened uh, as, you know, oh, well, I might be fine because I won the game, but you're not thinking about the fact that, you know, you really did kind of lose half your army to things that maybe you shouldn't have and you're not necessarily getting better. But I guess that's a whole other topic. Yeah, I would also like to argue that some of the best practice you can get isn't necessarily against somebody who plays the list or faction all the time. So, like, prior to ATC, um, we my immediate meta does not have a circle player. We just, we don't. Um, well, all right, all right, we don't have a competent circle player. That's probably a lot more accurate. Um, I mean, I could go out to, like, Rochester to get one, but the immediate area doesn't have one, and when you're strapped for time, that's a problem. So I grabbed my local Menoth player and was just like, hey, you're going to proxy this game out for me. And we walked through it step by step by step. Every move he made, it was, okay, why are you doing that? Why is this going here? What is is there a better way to be doing this entire turn? And everything I did, he was asking the same questions going, okay, why are you, you don't need to be that close because my threat is this. You don't need to be doing this, this, and this because none of it's going to matter next turn. Save the clock. Um, and it didn't, I, I, it didn't get me to be an expert in the match, but going to ATC then, my first game was against Iona, and just having that experience of going, okay, here's what I should be doing here, because I know if I move up too far, these blood trackers are just going to completely wipe this unit and there's nothing I can do about it. Or I can push aggressively with the Blightbringer at this point because these things are dead or far enough away that they won't kill it. Um, whatever. And I actually managed to win that game and draw it out to like bottom of six just for that reason. If I had... Did you win on clock? No, um, I got Gorag onto Iona. Okay, does it? Yeah, it turns out when he gets up to like map 13 and she had survived a Blightbringer charging her two turns before, so she was not on exactly a lot of health at that point. Yeah. Yeah, one, one thing I'll definitely say about the Iona match is it's probably going to go to time against if you're a competent player and they're a competent player. And in my opinion, Circle has a little bit of advantage in that capacity just because of all of the tricks going on, like Lord of the Feast, uh, Bridget and Call. They have ambushers generally. You know, Iona has Sprint. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, they have tough, steady models that have rapid healing. So try to not agonize too much about what kind of bad things are going on and just focus on not losing. You know, try to keep them from doing the things that are going to make you lose and try to play a quick game if you're playing Callous One. Actually, Cutter, you bring up a really interesting point um, that really has shown up at uh, my store since everyone got back from LVO and Captain Con um, and that all the competitive players have started ditching their dice trays um, because they feel like the dice hopping out of the trays has slowed down their clock enough over the course of the game that all these games seem to be coming down at the last minute, two minutes in the seventh round. And, and everyone's trying to figure out how can we save a couple minutes. And 
you know, they've just gone like, you know, purchasing up gravity dice so they don't roll around too, too much. And, and then the ditching of the, the $100 wormwood trays all over the store is what made me laugh the most. But, uh, I mean, right now, I think everyone's starting to realize that a lot of these games are getting grindy as hell and you're going to the very end of your clock. Yeah, it's rough. It is definitely rough. Um, I'll use this opportunity to bring in one of the technically correct segments that I had planned. Uh, and basically, the idea of it is the continuous effects and the ownership of them is no one owns continuous effects. You don't have any tag on them to know if you let your own stuff on fire, if they let it on fire. So the way that continuous effects work now is the active player, whoever's stuff is on fire or corroded, rolls for expiration. And then after you do all of the expiration rolls, the inactive player rolls damage for everything uh, for the fire fire rolls. So that's a little the different. Fire damage rolls on clock if they're on fire. Yeah. So if they're on fire, okay. they're on your opponent. You roll the expiration on your clock, and then they roll the damage on their clock if it's your stuff, uh, and it's you know reversed for them. So and that's just because. Normally, opponents roll damage, I guess, is why they wanted to do it. And as far as expiration, that that player owns the models, so I guess they're in control of it, since there is no actual ownership of the of the effects. So just keep that in mind. Um, that can sometimes be helpful. Uh, I had a game where I ran, I put the Blightbringers Animus up and charged into a whole unit of sentinels under Gorshade's feet, I think. Uh, I think it was under his feet turn. And I had like, hit a jack that I could see kind of behind the front line. And then while he was attacking me, like everything just caught on fire. It was just fire everywhere. So stuff like that can sometimes be helpful, and it's, it's good to know where those rolls are coming from. Callus 2, obviously, does a lot of fire stuff too, so... Uh, just keep that in mind as far as time goes. But yeah, I would say with with Iona, with Tharn in general, but specifically her, uh, you need to be both fast about your clock, and you also need to keep in mind that that list has a lot of things that can just end the game in certain ways. So one Tharn can get loaded up with corpses under her feet and just kill like all of your warmongers, for example. So on the other side, put your Hellmelds in places where maybe you catch someone out. Occasionally, you know, a caster just ends up in a bad place because the clock's getting low and, you know, it's behind a building or whatever. And then you just pop a tentacle down and end up killing them. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the big things with them. Um, knowing how to manage vengeance, knowing how to deal with, like, keeping stuff away from the sides of the table knowing what can survive to what. So, you know, if you're running Kalos and a Blightbringer, knowing what Arm 21 Chosen can live through, knowing what Arm 19 Chosen live through, so that you can position things appropriately, so that when Lord of the Feast comes in, or Bloodweavers, or Ravagers, whatever, that you're prepared for that stuff. Being aware of that call with feet and flank and prey is a coin flip on a Blightbringer. So, you know, be careful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that still feels just a little bullshit to me. It is. 
It's a little. I've, I've experienced it. I've experienced it. Yeah. Uh, Danny did it to me with, and I, I was like, this actually, I think it was an archangel that he killed at the time, but I could see it happen to a Blightbringer as well. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think that the Blightbringer's animus is actually not the worst in the world against Tharn. No. I don't usually put it up that often, but. Yeah, they're not happy about auto hitting POW 12s that light them on fire. They're uh, more not happy about the fire damage roll because they don't get to heal from it. Yeah. Is it really POW 12s? I thought it was POW 10. The fire damage is. Oh, Pow the fire 10, damage. The auto hitting things is POW 10. The yeah. fire rolls. Okay. Right, right, right. Well. Um, so, yeah, just keep in mind the Boil Master is going to be giving rerolls uh, with Puppet Master and corpses out to anything that can collect corpses, which is a lot of things. And that uh, the whatever the caster attachment is called will be giving them uh, potentially divine inspiration on something too. And her feet gives rerolls, so it's a lot. Like anything in that list can do a lot of work. Assuming the list has the spirit cauldron, um, I know that's kind of the thought is that's an auto include. Mm-hmm. I've seen a couple of lists without it, and they were super weird. But it turns out like. Lord of the Feast is not at all scary if he doesn't just start with three corpses. Yeah. He just kind of dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the fixes that people have suggested quite a bit. But yeah, for that, it's like play quickly and kind of that's why you need to really know the list so that you can work with it. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on an hour there. Um, what do you think about doing maybe Kador, Scorn, and uh, Menoth uh, on the next episode right before the event? What do you say to that? I'm good with that. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we could probably do that. Um, one thing I'll say about Scorn, uh, as far as this was a technically correct, so maybe I'll just do that one. Sure. Is so for bulwark, the the way that Makita's bulwark upkeep works is anything, any models in the battle group that are base to base get a plus two defensive bonus and no knockdown. So one of the things that had come up in conversation somewhere is the timing on if you slam something or push it back with like a crit knockdown or whatever from a bolt thrower or stuff like that, or Azrael. So the way it works is the slam move happens, like the push effect on slam, and then the knockdown at the final position. So you can actually slam things out of bulwark and then they'll fall down when they're not base to base anymore provided they end up not base to base it also means if you slam something into a model that has and they both have bulwark that it won't be knocked down by the time it gets there if it was you know not knocked down already so so that's something interesting to keep in mind. Uh, the Makeda 3 matchup and the Morgul 2 matchup, I think, are the ones that are really interesting for us. So I look forward to going through those in the next episode. Cool. Um, all right, so we do have the poll going for our next caster focus, or Warlock focus. Uh, it's Rias 1, Lilith, Lilith 1, right? Um, Bethane and somebody else. Let me check real quick. Oh yeah, the twins. So make sure you vote on that. Uh, right now, Rias and Lilith one are tied, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I was gonna say, if you want to hear Ron talk for like an hour, vote for Bethane because he has <laughs> the most experience out of anybody. 
So that I believe, and is also upsetting. Uh, thank you, Don. Sorry, what cutter? Oh, I was just gonna say uh, I've been tinkering with Lilith one, so uh, and she's tied with Rias one right now. But definitely vote and let us know what you want to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Lilith one has got game, uh, and people could get better listening to it. I don't know about that thing, but maybe you guys have unlocked <laughs> it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. There's nothing there to unlock. Let's just don't encourage him, please. All right. Uh, thank you, Donnie, for coming on. Uh, thanks, Wolf, for showing up. Uh, sorry about your mic problems, but we'll fix yeah. it in post, maybe, hopefully. It happens. Um, actually, before we sign off, is it okay if I take a second? Just one second. You have all the seconds you need, friend. Hooray. So I just wanted to take, well, maybe more than a second. Um, I got a steamroller coming up this weekend, and I would have brought this up earlier, but I couldn't because, you know, mic issues. But a uh, local event, I currently have 30 people pre-regged for it um, because I just wanted to throw a shout out to um, Jayla Fox Seething Ginger on Discord and thank him for letting me basically steal um, the Baltimore idea and setting it up for New York because we have a ton of people for the first round and I'm super excited to go play like Basically, our version of Baltimore that me and Fabin had set up, and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll back that up. John LeClaire is a great guy. He's run the Baltimore event in our meta for, like, the last three years. I have, like, two big third-place Baltimore trophies in my house. I don't – I'd rather they were one, but what can you do? <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really super fun, and it, it gets people out and moving and traveling and uh, the whole idea of like you making your own little mini war machine weekend at the end is pretty fun. Yeah, I just I really dig the fact that like I I thought we'd get people, but for the first round we max out at thirty two people. We already have thirty pre regged. Like, if this keeps going, I'm pretty sure I can just go to Privateer Press and be like, hey, look, I'm getting people to show up for this. Send prize support. Like, help us out. And I think they probably would send something. I don't know what, but something. Yeah, I imagine you're. Probably correct there. That's really cool, man. Congratulations. Um, so fill up those last two spots for Wolf. Get a hold of him. <laughs> uh, if this is out for this weekend, if not, next, second round's next month in Buffalo, my hometown. Come on out. Help, help me, please. <laughs> Cutter, how about you? Any events coming up? Uh, I'm being solicited to attend an event on Long Island this weekend. I don't know if I can make it out there or not. I've been really wanting to play in an event, though, so maybe, maybe I will. I don't know. It sounds so scandalous when you say it like that. Yeah. Being for an event. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, no. We're going to find Cutter in a bathtub missing his kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's happening. Uh, other than that, I don't have any big events coming up for a while, so just trying to get some local, regional stuff in. And that's pretty much it for me. Uh, cool. If there are any extra Myers out there, uh, that's something I might need to take advantage of. Let me know. Yeah, and I'll be OTC adjacent uh, in a couple weeks. I will be in the vicinity, but I don't know if I'll be playing. So keep an eye out for me there, I guess. Uh, Donnie, anything from you? Yeah, so tomorrow night we're leaving for uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Mike Ireland puts on a... Uh, show every year called the Mid-Atlantic Team Tournament. Um, it's a three-man team tournament, and 
So it'll be myself, Danny McGeehan, and Justin Dew, basically the, the core of what the My Whoppers were built on. And uh, we, I think we took third last year, so we're going to try to do a little better this year. But now that we have a WTC player on our team, everybody should be scared, right? <laughs> yeah, um, totally. But, uh, yeah, so that's going to be pretty fun. Uh, you know, the idea is leave after work tomorrow, get a cheesesteak in Philly, and go have fun the next day. Right on. That sounds like a great time. We'll have to get you to check back in and let you know, let us know how you did. Well, I'm unoriginal, so I'm bringing my same pairing from ATC, so we'll see how it goes. I love it. Um, it's fine. What was that, Wolf? Sorry. I said there's no possible way that will go badly. Just none. You're good. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned last week, if you're interested in Blightbringer's merch, there is a post on our Facebook page, so go check that out. Uh, and I think that will do it. So I'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 33 of Blightbringers. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, everyone. I'm still totally here.